Welcome to The Jump Off Point, an original podcast by Jump Capital. Today, our host, Jason Felger, and partner, Yelena Skolnick, sit down to discuss Jump's outlook on the sports betting industry. We then begin our sports betting series via a conversation with Jeffrey Gertula, EVP and GM of CBS Sports Digital at CBS Interactive. Hi, everyone. We have for you today our first episode on sports betting, something nearly every person has heard of, some have engaged in, often illegally, and is rapidly changing in the U.S. I have with me Yelena Skolnick from our team, and we're going to do a quick primer on the U.S. sports betting industry, the trends we see at Jump, and what we're excited about. We're going to do that before we cut to our conversation with today's guest, Jeff Gertula from CBS Sports Digital. Yelena, let's start with what happened about three years ago now. In 2018, the Supreme Court overturned the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, or as everyone refers to it, PASPA, making way for basically each state to decide if and how they would approach legalized sports betting. On the heels of that, you put together a great piece that summarized what was happening at that point in time, Jump's view on the market, the sports betting market here in the U.S., And a lot of that was around the sizing of the market. And that still remains a big question today as far as the industry as a whole, the size of that. Can you catch us up on where are we with state legalization? How big is that market today? And where do we think we're going from here as far as legalization throughout the different states in the U.S.? Yeah, sure. So when we published the post, which was early 2019, there were about 10 legal open states. Today, there's 21. So a pretty material difference. There's another nine that have legalized but don't have any activity. And then behind those guys, there's probably another three or so in queue in terms of having legislation. From how close is that to our estimates perspective, there was an estimate put out by Eilers back in 2017 that the target would be something like 32 open states. And so we're dead on it and we're going quick. And in fact, we're quite likely to actually exceed that expectation a bit from just a state count. But, you know, it's a fairly reasonable estimate. Like you certainly wouldn't expect all 50 states to become legal and embrace sports betting. And then the other comment that we made in that original post was it's not really just about legalizing the states, it's about how they legalize. And so if a state has only legalized a physical book, well, that changes the level of consumer adoption since you do physically drive to that book and engage in a very different way than if mobile or online was available. So in early 2019, only about half of those states that I cited were at all open for mobile or online activity. Today, we're trending a lot better than that. Something like 15 of those 21 states uh, have mobile or online activity enabled. And that's an enormous driver, as we predicted, in the states where it's enabled. 80, 90% of volumes could be coming from mobile, which I guess is intuitively quite logical um, and is very true globally as well. From the revenue side of things, we're also pretty on track. The fairly reasonable estimates that got put out we're 2021, 2022, we'd be tracking around $4 billion of revenue. So that's not handle in terms of like gross betting volume, that's revenue to the betting operators. And that's pretty much where we're at. It was kind of nice to see us on course. And when you ask these questions about, well, how big does this get? We have to look at a couple of variables there. Like one, there's still a few very large states that could, should come online soon, right? And a lot of people sort of point to California. There should be a lot that comes from California. And there's complexity there. There's a lot of tribal relationships to gaming in California, but there's still a lot of growth to come from just legalizing new states. 
Another aspect of it is just the penetration of betting. So in the UK, we see numbers a little closer to 17, 20% of people actually engage in betting. In the US, we're still at about you know, 10 to 14%. So you'd argue that's a little bit low. One of the things that when we originally did the thesis, we looked at was just what are consumer attitudes towards betting? We didn't grow up with it here in the US, outside of maybe living in a couple of very specific locations. So how did people feel about it? And a lot of people had reservations. They were uncomfortable. They thought of betting as a primarily kind of social activity. We do this season-long fantasy thing that's fun with my friends. I don't bet against a book. That's very different. Is that even okay? But we're starting to see people change their attitude about that. And you know, we'll talk about this later too, but media's adoption and embrace of sports betting is what encourages, I think, the average consumer to also get comfortable with it. So maybe that brings up our penetration rate. Maybe that doubles it. That's a, that's a huge piece of it. And then the other piece of it is just really how people end up engaging with it. So we've got a lot of pre-match betting right now. We don't have a lot of in-game. In-game is a huge driver globally. Does in-game completely change the landscape for the United States? If people are making small bets throughout a game, how much could that change volumes? How much could that change penetration? We don't know. And we're still very early innings in what that could look like in the U.S. And I think the media companies will be a huge driver of that too. It's fascinating because today, I think all sports betting activity is probably 8 10% as a share of total gaming activity, whereas in the UK, it's a third. So if you think about how much room we have to grow in terms of volume, and of course, maybe it's not totally fair to keep comparing us to the UK, but that's an easy, mature market to point to. That's kind of how we think about it. Are we seeing saturation of books and expansion of books, either physically or online, but I'm kind of most curious online and mobile? How has that part of the ecosystem, which most people are most familiar with, evolved over these last few years? This is a very interesting question because it continues to evolve as the regulation continues to evolve. So there are very specific ways in which you could open a book. You do need to have a license in the state in which you operate in every state in which you operate. And you have to have what's called the skin, which is a relationship generally in, in most states. It is a relationship to a brick and mortar casino to an existing gaming entity, those might have three available skins that they can offer up to potential partners to be their digital partners for betting. You can't access the state without these things. Um, so to your question of saturation, they're not saturated in the sense that there still is, in fact, a good amount of availability. And that is a little bit to do with the fact that every state is handling this very differently. So some states, in fact, will give a actual, you know, stadium skins, right? They'll, they'll give it as nation skins. In some states, you don't need to have a physical partner. You can just be a purely digital player. There's a number of states that are entertaining legislation like that or have it. So will there be availability? I think broadly described, yes. And we know how many slots there are and there, there remains some capacity. So for the, for the typical startup, it's, it's a very difficult dynamic, but not because there's no room or there's no capacity, I think, for other reasons, right? And the more interesting question for me is, have we reached a point of consumer saturation? Meaning, do consumers have plenty of apps on their phone and they're good? And so the war of trying to pay 300 ahead or 350 ahead is meaningless in that all that you're going to end up doing is just becoming another app on that consumer's phone and you know, maybe getting them for some of their volume and maybe not. I do think that the existing experience of books, there are many and obviously every state will have different books. And it's fun if you see a map of the leaderboard uh, from state to state, you'll see you'll like FanDuel winning over here, DraftKings winning over here, and BetMGM winning over here. But it's, it's the big guys. It's the guys you expect, right? So, you know, our, our customers sort of set with, hey, yeah, FanDuel works for me. And I'm good. And do I need another book? 
And I think there's a piece of it that certainly suggests that, that they are. On the other hand, when we did a little bit of our focus group work, which was basically a, you know, thank you, Twitter people sort of reaching out to us and giving us their perspectives of betting, we heard a tremendous amount of dissatisfaction with the experience that they had with these current books, which is not really that surprising, right? Uh, books can, in theory, just kick you off if you do too well. They can limit your play in any manner in which they choose. Sometimes their lines can feel arbitrary when you compare one book against the other. There's all sorts of issues and challenges there. So we thought, yes, there might actually be opportunity for others, but they're probably not going to just be another book, right? It's just not going to work to just try to win a DraftKings game. But there is opportunity to do it from a different perspective. We are very excited to be backers of a platform called Sport Trade. Very recent investment for us, but we're you know, to maybe take this a slightly different direction, we're very active investors in the fintech universe. And we looked over there and said, hey, in capital markets, there's such incredible applications, right? There's such fluid commission-free trading. Everything is incredibly transparent. What a, you know, really unique experience that is. And then transition over to sports betting where you're paying these eight, 10% commissions on all of your bets. And it's fundamentally very opaque. And the experiences all are very different from app to app. That doesn't seem consistent. That doesn't seem right. And it, it's quite likely that you would feel dissatisfied if on the one hand you have Robinhood, on the other hand you have DraftKings. So we felt like there was an opportunity for someone to position themselves a little more like a fintech player. And then setting all of that aside, there's an education curve for the average American better, right? If you didn't bet offshore historically, this is your first few bets. You don't know what lines are, maybe. Maybe you don't, you're not comfortable with odds. You don't know how to make those bets. So it's logical that you would be looking for a very different interface. And what we really loved about sport trade is it really positions bets as yeah, in the same way it would, as you would position a financial asset, right? So you can purchase the Lakers at a win probability. And then as they go up and down, you can trade in and out of that position. It's very easy for you to kind of understand that. It's intuitive. And there's a lot of liquidity to make that exchange on the back end work. So it, yeah, these are the things that make us feel like, yes, there might be room. And in fact, there might be room specifically, if we hope, for, for sport trade. I think three years ago, I, I would have definitely been one of those that was skeptical on the adoption rate of the big media conglomerates, the major leagues, leaning hard into sports betting and, and adopting it, so to speak, through partnerships and sponsorships. Catch us up on those trends. What has been happening there? And you come at this from a great angle because you lead a lot of our digital media area as well, in addition to sports betting to bring those themes together. And, you know, at the tail end of 2018, early 2019, we really had no visibility into how media companies would choose to embrace this or not and set media companies aside. How would leagues and how would teams interact with sports betting? And you, you likely recall, there were a lot of mixed opinions. There were folks out there trying to fight for integrity fees. There were folks actually angling hard against betting and the challenge that that might create to the industry. And there were others that saw the enormous opportunity that betting creates for live sports rights, right? If you bet on a game, you want to watch the game. So it really does change the dynamic. You know, one of the things people point to about the U.S. versus other countries is that the coverage of sports in the U.S. has always been so much more statistically driven, so much more analytical that it lends itself to betting. It's We're talking about those metrics all the time. That's not something that you hear in international broadcasts. So we've got an audience that's really primed for it, that's ready for it. And, you know, we're talking to CBS later and they'll comment on the fact that they kind of air commentary that is, you know, coverage to some extent that leans towards betting. And so it was just, it was just perfect to have those relationships. It makes a lot of sense to have them. So, you know, from that perspective, I think very interesting for media. And of course, one aspect that we're very interested in is all of the tools that will help media companies embrace betting and all of the new properties in media that will embrace betting. So 
of course, um, you'll see every media property grow their coverage of betting uh, in a general sense, but also there, there are new players, right? And so I think of the Vegas Stats and Information Network, I think of players like Action that are just hyper-specific and hyper-focused and, and how can we develop really good content for, uh, for betters um, and also bring betters up the education curve. So that aspect of it is, is really interesting. I think the other aspect of it that we don't maybe hit on as much when we talk about betting is the opportunity that betting creates for media in another sense, right? Um, so to come back to the Gen Z thing, Gen Z as a category, as a generation, they're not as connected to teams as maybe their parents were, right? It's not really just about what city I'm in, that's my local team and that's my relationship. They have more of a relationship with athletes, right? They follow their favorite athletes on social media. It's a very different dynamic. They think that live is a little less important than the prior generation. They can watch highlights and be perfectly happy with that relationship with sports. And of course, just because of the enormous amount of cord cutting that's happened, it's actually quite hard for them to watch stuff live, right? They likely don't even have access to do that. So it's a very different kind of severed relationship with traditional sports media. And so I think betting creates this really unique and interesting opportunity to try to solve those problems for this entire category of people. One solution that we are very big fans of is a company called Buzzer, which effectively just sort of cuts through the noise of everything that happens after you cut the cord, right? You have no idea what platform the live event that you want to watch is on. If you do know what platform it's on, it's likely a subscription video on demand service that you have to pay for separately. If you've cut the cord on a really hefty cable bill, and then you switch over to paying for four or five subscription services just to cover all the sports that you're enthusiastic about, now you're paying probably more than you paid before. It just is not a tenable solution. It doesn't really work for people. So it basically, Buzzer just kind of cuts through all that noise and tells you, hey, what you want to watch is over here. If you'd like to make a small payment and just watch the segment of it that's really exciting, do that. And if you happen to have some other method of authenticating or a previous relationship, we'll cover that and you don't have to pay anything. But the point is, let's just make it super easy for you to watch what it is that you want to watch. All of these things are just bringing this next generation and previous generations to some degree, right, back to live sports and engaging in the way that I would imagine leagues and also rights owners would want you to. I mean, so much of, of what we're talking about is it's a modernization and in, in bringing to a digital and mobile platform what we've all experienced in the casino for years. And you know, obviously, we're talking about sports betting in the book, in, the, in digitizing and in putting on a mobile and online experiences, the book. But there's a whole other side of casinos, and that is the gaming tables and all the aspects of the actual floor itself. How, how do you think iGaming fits into this eventually? Yeah, this is a really interesting, entirely different topic of conversation. Um, one of the neat things about sports betting that I think a lot of people don't appreciate is well, I wouldn't call it a loss leader, but it certainly isn't actually the profit driver, right? We want you to walk into a casino and engage with the book, but after you engage with the book, like go play some Kino and do some slots. And that's really where we're going to make the money, right? It's part of the interesting thing about it in the mobile context is it actually works kind of the same way. Sports betting globally, if I think about it, is probably about 15% of all gaming activity. But in terms of online activity or mobile activity, now we're talking about you know, 70% of mobile activity. So if you say as a betting operator that does many things, including, you know, sports betting and including social casino or just casino generally, right? Uh, well, you know what? I don't really need to cover sports betting because it's actually not a great margin for me. It doesn't really work. Then you're effectively seeding all of those mobile players to someone else. And by the time you wake up to it and say, hey, I could really make a tremendous amount of money doing online slots with folks, 
they're on someone else's platform, so it doesn't matter, right? Um, so there is an enormous opportunity to use it as a way to engage with customers and as a way to just get people comfortable with mobile gaming. iGaming regulation and legislation is not moving at the pace that sports betting regulation is. So I'll be honest, I don't really know how that will evolve or how that will happen across states, where it will be legal, what will be legal. But I, I think we just, there's so little knowledge about how it will unfold. What we're going to do now is actually, with that context, cut over to our conversation with our guest today, Jeff Bertula. All right, guys. Well, it is a beautiful spring day. Uh, we are well into the MLB season. We are facing the NBA playoffs. We just had an NFL draft. And so I can think of nothing better to do than to talk about sports betting a little bit with some friends. Uh, CBS Sports Digital has grown to be the third largest sports property in the U.S. and has also set viewership records with its Super Bowl live streams. We can think of no better person to talk with on how sports content consumption is changing and how sports betting stands to change media than our guest today, Jeff Gertula. Jeff is the executive vice president and general manager of CBS Sports Digital. He leads the media business for all CBS digital properties, which include CBS Sports HQ, CBSSports.com, CBS Sports Fantasy, Sportsline, 24-7 Sports, and Max Preps. He also leads the strategy and acquisition for exclusive live sports rights for the Paramount Plus streaming service. That's a lot, and welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So, Jeff, Yelena, let's just get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Given your experience leading the digital business for CBS Sports, I thought a great place to start. Let's talk about the evolution of sports consumption, right? And just how people are watching and engaging with sports. Um, and the first place to start, I think, is really just thinking about this generational shift. Uh, the Gen Z relationship to sports feels different. It seems like most of their relationships are around social circles rather than the team based on their geography. It seems like they're engaging with very specific athletes as opposed to even whole teams. How does any of maybe the behavior of Gen Z affect how you think about CBS's properties and what are you seeing? It affects everything. You know, we have to continue to think about how we grow and the best way to grow is to, to focus in on new sports fans and where we're actually seeing new audiences emerge. And so Gen Z is a, a critical piece of that. And the, the real piece that I, has changed that transforms it all, it's, it's obvious to say, but I mean, social changed everything. The fact that you can have one-to-one -one relationships with athletes and the athletes can control their voice and they become the celebrities. It's changed the whole dynamic between the athlete and the fan and, and Gen Z is the most native to that. You know, I grew up watching just a, a, a small set of channels in the New England area. So I'm watching New England teams. And, and now, now you have a group that was, that was raised on being able to interact with athletes directly, changes the whole dynamic of it. But I will say this, despite all those differences, it's still sports and it's still a game and there's still a lot of the same conversations. It's just a lot of the, there's just a lot more people who are rooting for different teams for different reasons. Maybe let's transition to the betting side of things because obviously that yeah. is fascinating. So I am curious on your view as we transition into this universe where there's more legal betting, what is the unique positioning for CBS in that landscape? Yeah, that's good. And to clarify my view of, of CBS with it, I think the, 
the unique aspect that CBS Sports has, or kind of one of the strengths we have in the space, is is actually the, the fact that was the digital business was originally Sportsline, founded in 1995, that was built off of um, a heavy foundation of fantasy games and gambling at the time. So because of that, and sort of the evolution, our digital evolution from that, it's kind of in our DNA. And, and I think, you know, to translate that more directly in our audience profile, like our audience is just index high that way, because we have such a we skew so heavy to, to fantasy, frankly. Um, but then CBS Sports, more broadly, right, the storytelling kind of major event broadcast it's 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 different, right? I mean, it, it's 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 more around high level productions of the biggest events, and you know, for for obvious reasons, we've always had a strong separation between what we do on broadcast and, and anything gambling related, and, and so sports gamblers watch sports because they bet on it, right? So so there's there's always there's been the, there, there's there's this aspect where on a digital side we've had this voice, on the TV side we've been. You know, we're the NFL, we're, we're the Masters, we're the PGA Tour, we're, we're the NCAA. So we're purely showing that, well, on the digital side, we kind of have this different DNA. And so a lot of, a lot of my time here has been trying to figure out how do you, how do you balance that? Well, in, when, you, when you started to go through, like, you've got those kind of two primary channels, the way you described it, those two primary outlets. And we think about yeah. sports better. And we were talking earlier about just sports content in general and the different customers that consume it, but the sports better, you know, you we're in a really crazy period right now in the U S because you've got very sophisticated betters that, that have been doing it in different ways, you know, for a long time. Um, but now you have a lot of new entrants and, and you have a lot of betters that are much more of a casual demographic. Do you yeah. also think about different betting audiences and some of those different properties and who you're speaking to with either content or interactivity or just different engagement opportunities. We have to think about that from a brand's perspective, right? We're CBS. So we're mass reach. We're broad. Everything we do has to have that perspective or else what are we doing? So we do think about large tent, broad-based view of this. And, and, and it does include obviously more, you know, not, not just also non-gamblers, which we have mm-hmm. to be very conscious of. And there's a large percentage of sports fans who just don't want it. And so we have to be careful about kind of the level to which we're putting sports gambling in places that are reaching everyone. And I think have op, you know, more opt in paths in a lot of instances. So if you want to go deeper, we like to direct them. And that's what sport our sports line gambling content brand now is and, and it's just sort of a place where you can opt people someone can opt in and get deeper stuff and but but even that audience and this is what we've been finding is even that sports line audience which is opt-in people who have interest in gambling content this is still the most part kind of casual casual doesn't mean hey we're just gonna all we're it's gonna be silly and it's gonna not be serious we think casual we think we want to make fans smarter and offer them really good insight but we just have to speak a simpler language and we have to talk, you know, call it like an eye level with the fan and, and not use jargon and lingo and not, not go all the way there talking about like regressions and there's a place for that. And that audience can go do that. That's not how we're going to speak, but we'll still have really smart people who are going to let people have fun with this in a more informed way, but just it's the language. And, and by the way, all the stuff I'm saying is like, we're in the middle of figuring this out. We talk about too much gambling content in some places where we see the, how the audience is not reacting well. We have other things where we're like, what are we saying here? Who are you talking to? But it, that's the constant refinement right now is how do you 
take this so that one, you're not alienating like a group where CBS were trying to reach everyone. And then two, even the people that you have coming in, like talk sports, talk the language of sports. Don't want to, you know, this is still fun. This is still an audience that right now, a lot of people like parlays and props and putting five together and be able to take 10 bucks and trying to take a bet to make 500. Like those are the kinds of things that we're seeing, you know? So it's, uh, anyway, it's a long way of saying sometimes we got to like not overthink it, not be too smart, but still come from a place of we're trying to provide smart analysis without us sounding like we're being too smart. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And that tone of real approachability and a very mass reach, I am interested in and maybe how you approach new customer acquisition, bringing new fans to CBS that, you know, maybe weren't loyal CBS viewers before that might kind of sit on the betting side of the fence, right? And be looking for that level of analysis, maybe not that level of depth. They're not looking for the regressions. They're looking for just yeah. great commentary. Smart. Is this helping you bring them on? Yeah, yeah, it it does. And you know what we we find is is a lot is even sports line and when we're doing it right, the audience does skew younger. It'll move into more of a 20s or 30s type demo. We're still thinking about a lot of things. And and by the way, gambling's been around for a long time too. So you know, I always think about it sometimes. It's the economics are different now. Obviously, you have partnerships and there's sports book revenue. It's going to impact media, meet your media business. And from a fan standpoint, it's bigger now. Sure, you have more people who are being introduced to it. But we used to always talk about like we before any states were legalized, having legalized sports gambling, fixed content and, and gambling oriented content was still our most popular stuff. I mean, sometimes people are like, oh, how's it gonna it's gonna do this? It's like it's already doing it. They're just betting offshore. You know, it's like, it's not, but now it's obviously the, the, the financial underpinnings of our business. It's like, oh, there's this giant new media category emerging and we have to make sure that we're talking to these audiences so we can be a good partner for someone who's looking to meet our audience. Right. So on the media side, let's, let's chat about that. Cause I think after the repeal, a lot of questions were, well, what is media going to do with betting? Are they going to embrace it? How are they going to interact with it? What that would even look like? And you yeah. led a deal for CBS with William Hill. So what drove you to do that? How did you think about it? How does CBS think about relationships like that? Yeah, because our digital businesses index well with these gambling audiences, we thought that we had a really nice asset for a sports book partner where we could get in and roll up our sleeves and try to figure out how a media property and a sports book um, in partnership can try to figure out how we can translate our eyeballs, right? Our, our media into value for them. And we looked long and hard around the, the space and, and look for the right partners, right? The right brand fit, the right culture fit, the right tech, the right market access, and, you know, sharing data, trying to understand what's working, what's not working. So it allows us to better understand our media business as you know, through the eyes of a sports book which informs your content investment. Hey, this doesn't work. Or even your approach to, to media placements, like, oh, we thought this would work in these positions in our scoreboards, but they're actually not good ways to funnel audiences. But, you know, on these other pages that are driven by SEO with this language, it can be effective. So we're, we're really kind of digging into what works, what doesn't work. Are you seeing certain content, certain kind of hooks that are getting engagement? You know, how do you or how do you and, and William Hill think about this whole just massive population who's 
never put a bet down before. As you said, it's been around forever if you really wanted to do it, but accessibility has definitely yeah. changed. How do you think about attracting like the first time person who's like, I, I want to give this a shot and I'm, I've never done this before? In some ways, it distills into old school internet distribution kind of strategy. So you have a search strategy and your search strategy may be people asking questions, which you're going to provide answers to. And those questions may lead you to people who may be good prospects, people who may be looking for specific odds in a game, or maybe even kind of information around how to bet on, you know, how, how to place bets or kind of more general questions. So there's, there's that layer, which is more editorial strategy focused on, on answering questions for people that we think are going to be potentially valuable audiences. And then social, right. Social is, is going to have two pieces, right. You'll have social referral pit play, which you're going to take your lists and move people in, which is kind of the same general strategy of like, what's the content that you could kind of extract the right prospects in to pages that you could then convert or the engagement side where, you know, you we're building, you know, Instagram pages or, or, or Twitter pages around sports line or around other brands that may engage people. And then you're collecting them and building that engagement there for, you know, future conversions. So there's no silver bullet. Unfortunately, in this media landscape, you kind of have to go platform by platform, medium by medium. And, and you just think about the distribution points. We, we keep talking about betting, but we haven't talked about specifically like the wagers. Most of the U.S., when you say betting on sports, they think of pregame wagering. And that's yep. kind of in the historical norm that we've all kind of gotten used to. But obviously, you know, not just because of the technology, but a lot of different reasons. Like in-game wagering is a real thing. And in-game wagering in the U.S. is definitely growing in popularity. So what's your view on in-game versus pregame? And then does that change your strategy around content or interactivity as we potentially keep moving more towards actual in-game wagering? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's uh, it's coming. It's going to be big. These questions, just how big? We just think of like Europe and how how it almost just took the whole thing over from the standpoint of like they also bet a lot on soccer, and soccer may kind of have its own kind of unique aspects to in-game betting that may just translate differently to like the NFL here. But with that, no, we're we're planning and moving like it's coming and when it comes it's going to be a monster and yeah that that impacts your content strategy your data strategy yeah maybe a quick follow-up there because of digital as a platform you have so much flexibility when in play does show in a really material way people can engage with that content in a very different way and that contribute to the way that they're betting and yeah i'm curious have you thought about it and what does that mean for you guys yeah, no, we have. It, it, it's just, a, I think it's a question of of where will people want that information? And again, if you put it, uh, you know, will we have gambling broadcasts, right? Or opt-in ones where people want that information and they want it next to the TV. I don't know. Maybe we're going to, I'll tell you, people are already testing it and we're going to find out. Or will those audiences ultimately prefer that to be on their phones? And then for us, where do we fit in on all that? So I, I know one of the places we're going to fit in, and that's where we're focused. One of the places we're definitely going to fit in is as a content provider and a voice where we want to be providing you smart information around what do we think the right bets are and what do our models say and what do our experts say and how do we translate that into like the you know common sports language where someone's like, you know, this is what the first half was an anomaly. This is what's going to happen in the second half. Or 
or, you know, really kind of breaking down like, you know, the, the Patriots adjust well at the half. And, you know, I, I don't know if those are, those are smart points or not, but, but, the, but we're part of that conversation, which is the language of sports fans. That's, that's what people talk about. You go on Twitter, they're always talking. It's the same thing. You're just, we're creating content and we're creating engagement around it, around our channels, our talent. We're owning the eyeballs. We're in that conversation. And, and that we will definitely be part of that. Now, the rest of it, we'll see what audience takes to. Jeff, we always like to wrap things up with some advice for founders and entrepreneurs. You know, as you think about sports betting, you think about sports content, are there technologies that you're not seeing that you think should exist? Are there kind of opportunities that you think are worth going after and highlighting or paying attention to and just maybe sharing if you've got any thoughts on given your perspective, you know, if you're a founder or you're an entrepreneur that's thinking about this space or in it, you know, opportunities mm -hmm. or things that you think um, would make a lot of sense. There's a, so many different ways to attack the space right now. And it's, it's undergoing so much transformation. There are probably hundreds of great ideas right now that I would never even be able to get my head around from where I sit. But I think if you can come to the table and you solve one of a few problems, right? It's like, I look at the internet, it's like you, there's distribution problems. If you have a plan to uh, grow content distribution at its core, that in of itself is a business model. We've had other ones where it was about the content. And this is kind of more for the content visionaries out there where you can build stuff if you legitimately have an angle that you can connect with audiences. And that's, you know, that's obviously very, very different, but, but there's a lot of different <laughs> ways to do it, right? You can go distribution, you can go talent, you go tech. There's a lot of ways because it is all up in the air right now. It is it is crazy time right now. I feel like and and uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a go great, get it go get a, it. It's a great framework. It's uh it's good level setting as well. So I want to thank you, Jeff, for joining us, Elena. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode of the Jump Off Point, an original podcast by Jump Capital. If you have an idea for the show or know of someone who would make a great guest, please contact podcast at jumpcap.com.